Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. I hope you are staying safe from the bitter, bitter, dangerous cold outside. Uh, Of course, we are here, though, to put the show on today. Uh, And we want to talk a little later about Henry Ford, uh, one of the biggest names ever in the history of Southeast Michigan. But uh, there's a new article that talks about his history with anti-Semitism and how important that was uh, in his stardom in uh, Detroit a hundred years ago. Bill McGraw, who is a journalist and historian, is going to be here to talk about the article that he wrote and why it's important to have that discussion now. But first, Jocelyn Benson has been pretty busy since she was sworn in as Michigan's Secretary of State. She moved really swiftly to settle a lawsuit that challenges the state's gerrymandered legislative districts by requiring that a handful of state House seats be redrawn. That's unfolding against the backdrop of the successful referendum to end partisan gerrymandering, which will affect the district redrawing that's scheduled to happen in 2021. It can all get very confusing if you're not paying close attention. But for Benson, who has been pushing for changes to redistricting for nearly a decade now, It's fair to say there's little that's more important than getting this right. Joining me now to talk more about this is Jocelyn Benson, the newly sworn in Michigan Secretary of State. Jocelyn, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yes, great to have you here in the studio. Uh, Let's start with the history of this lawsuit that that you've proposed this settlement for. Uh, What was this lawsuit about? Uh, And then tell us how you came to the conclusion that this was the right way to deal with it. Well, the lawsuit was filed back in 2017, so I inherited it from my predecessor. And when I took office, and the lawsuit was the League of Women Voters suing the Secretary of State, arguing that the uh, current districts for Congressional Senate and House seats are all unconstitutional because there was too much partisanship and partisan intent in drawing the lines, that those who drew the lines in 2011 drew them in such a way to uh, rig the outcome of the election to favor one party over the other that it was that it rose to an unconstitutional violation to subvert the will of the voters. So, and that's something that I have been talking about, as you know, for the better part of the decade mm-hmm. since those districts were enacted. Uh, so upon taking office, I now find myself as the defendant in this lawsuit, uh, <laughs> ready to go to trial in a month by on February 5th, and, uh, and was met with this decision, well, am I going to hire new attorneys, because that's what I had to do as the new Secretary of State. We're going to bring in new attorneys uh, working with the Attorney General to defend these districts who I, that I, I believe uh, in the law are drawn unfairly and, and drawn unconstitutional. Uh, so essentially, am I going to go to court to defend districts that I believe are unconstitutional? And am I, am I going to spend taxpayer money to do that? Uh, and uh, the answer to me was no. I, I could not abdicate positions that I've held my entire career. I was elected to do this, the job that, that voters have asked me to do. And I also you know, just can't uh, you know, go against my beliefs and my interpretation of the law as a legal scholar, as someone who knows this world. So that said, uh, after I made that decision, I uh, essentially that means that the defendant, instead of going to trial, uh, has an option to settle, to basically say, I agree. 
that the districts are unconstitutional. And, and that's here's essentially, my, here's yeah, my and solution. Is, that's what I did. I agree. These districts were unconstitutional. Now let's come up with a solution. And that's where I tried to really balance the fact that these districts had been in place for 10 years. Uh, I did not want an, uh, an upheaval where, for example, if the Senate maps were or are declared unconstitutional, those would call for a new election to the state Senate. That would create significant upheaval. Uh, same with the congressional districts. So we were able to get the plaintiffs to drop their claims against two of the maps and settle to redraw only uh, 11 of the 15 House districts that they had challenged as unconstitutional. So to me, it was a way to balance uh, the, the the two sides of the issue and find a solution that would uh, have a narrow impact, a limited impact, but still would hold accountable those who drew these districts in an unconstitutional way back in 2011. Yeah. I, 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 you've taken a lot of flack for this settlement, for this proposal. People saying, uh, you're a Democrat, you're just trying to make sure there are more Democrats in the state house. Uh, at the same time, as you point out, this is a pretty restrained solution. It, you, you could have said, let's redraw everything uh, that, that was challenged here. Uh, but but how do you how do you answer that accusation that this is also partisan, that even if Republicans uh, purposely drew the map to favor themselves, what you're doing now is about trying to help Democrats? Well, I think two things. One, there's nothing to indicate that these new districts are going to be drawn in a way that's going to make it easier for Democrats to win. They're going to be drawn by a Republican-led legislature and then submitted to the court. And at the same time, there are a lot of Democratic districts in this settlement. Five of the 11 are democratically held right now, and that means that they could potentially lose their seats as well. So I think... One, we don't. It, it's it's impossible to even I I think predict what could happen, and and therefore, in my view, not appropriate to say that that would be part of my uh, um, intention here in 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 laying out and doing exactly what I just described. I think the second piece is is the you know the fact that. You know, for me, I need to be in this position, making objective decisions, interpreting the law in the best way I can based on my knowledge of the law on behalf of what's best for voters. Most of the time, the decisions I make are potentially going to influence or impact people who have political influence, whether they be Democrats or Republicans. So doing this job well and doing it the way that it's supposed to be done in a way that is in line with what's best for the voters and being bold in favor of democracy means that a lot of the decisions I make are going to anger the Democrats and they're going to anger the Republicans. And I'm prepared to take that heat because I'm in this job to do what's right, not to uh, do what either political party would want me to do to alleviate any any um, or to in- enable them to continue to rig a system in a way that would perpetuate their own influence. So so 11 House districts, uh, but of course those 11 fit in the context of the other uh, 99 that mm-hmm. uh, that exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you redraw 11 districts without having to redraw the whole map? I think, one, that's a question for the legislature that's going to be charged with redrawing these districts. Uh, but in, in my view, in, in, and, and I would say secondly, it's going to be up to the court to really determine that. But if I were approaching this, I would certainly attempt to redraw the districts in a way that removes any partisan animus and partisan intent, which is really the, the unconstitutional nature of the districts. And perhaps includes, you want to include more Republican districts in districts that were held to 
uh, support the election of Democrats and vice versa. Uh, and that would essentially create 11 competitive districts as opposed to 11 districts that were rigged to, to favor one party or the other. Uh, and, uh, and so I would look at it that way and, and do so in, in trying to uh, minimize the impact on any other districts, which I think is possible when you're talking about a precinct by precinct level change. Uh, but again, that, that's for the legislature to figure out. But I would certainly hope um, uh, that, you know, to, to the extent that, that that my opinion matters, that they do so and redraw the districts in a way that has minimal impact of any other district. And and the the redraw, what about the disruption of this? Mm-hmm. Uh, y- you would yeah. have to do this by 2020, which is the next mm-hmm. scheduled uh, election for, for, for the House of Representatives. Then after 2020, when we have the census uh, in 2021, we'll have another redraw. Mm-hmm. Is there an argument that we should just let this ride until the decennial uh, redistricting and and fix it then? I think that's an argument the court could consider because we did not in the settlement put any timeline on the redrawing of the district. So the court could certainly consider that as an option. But I think we have to remember why we're here. We're here because in 2011, districts were drawn in the state of Michigan that were clearly in violation of the Constitution. There was clear gerrymandering, and it was so... Uh, stark and so severe that it led to ultimately a ballot initiative led by citizens to completely change the way we draw districts in the future and put that in the hands of the citizens. So that's why we're here and even having this discussion today. And this is there's sort of a small aspect to that that trajectory. But we can't forget that we're here because, again, uh, in 2011, legislators drew districts in a way that was unconstitutional. And uh, and as a result, we're here today where we um, have uh, potentially a federal court, uh, if they agree to the settlement or if we go to trial, uh, making a decision that will uh, conclude that these districts need to be redrawn. I'm talking with Jocelyn Benson, Michigan Secretary of State, about gerrymandering and the settlement that uh, she has proposed with a lawsuit that challenges many of the districts that were drawn here in the state of Michigan in 2011. Uh, She would like for 11 of the state house districts to be redrawn in a way that minimizes partisan uh, influence over the way that those uh, districts were drawn. Uh, That's all happening against the backdrop of this referendum that uh, Michiganders embraced in November of uh, 2018 that will require that uh, the entire maps uh, be redrawn the next time on our decennial uh, redistricting according to uh, standards that are something other than politics. Uh, we will have a nonpartisan commission that will undertake that redrawing instead of the partisan legislature. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What questions do you have about how redistricting works, either with this settlement or in a few years when we change the system entirely. Uh, Jocelyn Benson is here and has thought a lot about how to fix our problems with gerrymandering, and she can answer your questions or concerns. Also give us a call if you think uh, this is much ado about nothing, if you think uh, partisan gerrymandering has been part of the system uh, here in Michigan for a very long time, and it's just the way things work. If you want to have a different map, win a better, win more elections. Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. 
before we get to the phones, uh, Jocelyn, I, I want to talk more about uh, this this uh, this victory for for uh, for your uh, your uh, activism, I guess, uh, on on gerrymandering that we saw in 2018. Um, there are a lot of questions people have about the idea that this can be done in a different way. Uh, a lot of people doubt that uh, you can't, uh, they, they doubt that you can uh, redraw, draw districts in a way that doesn't put any partisan thumb on the scale. Can you talk to listeners about why you're confident that can happen and in some practical terms explain how you keep partisanship out of the process? Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited that the long-term solution for uh, this issue is in place through the Citizens Redistricting Commission that will, in my view, put citizens in charge of the process in a way that will create a balanced uh, uh, um, approach to drawing these districts with transparency and citizen involvement. Uh, and that said, I think, to me, starting at the end point, when you look at California and other states who have done this, the mark of a good, competitive, nonpartisan map is one that neither party's like. And so, you know, that kind of tells us what we can, what to me would be, would be a, um, if, you, if it would be a, a fair map that's nonpartisan, that doesn't really benefit one party or the other, uh, and that uh, it has competitive districts throughout. So the process in getting there, the, the best process is usually having citizens in charge because you remove that conflict of interest legislators often have to make something work on behalf of them, or their friends, or their party. And uh, so with this uh, upcoming commission that will be convening in 2021 to draw our next round of districts, um, my hope and my intention, uh, and, and perhaps all the attention on this issue will help us do that, is to get as many people as possible to apply to be a part of this commission. It will only work if citizens throughout the state of Michigan sign up and volunteer to be a part of drawing the next round of district maps. It's an incredible opportunity that we have as a state to show the rest of the country how this can be done well and how it can be done not just in compliance with the law and the Constitution, but with the best principles of drawing fair districts that promote everyone's voice to be heard. Uh, and so that's where we're headed as a state. And I'm really excited to turn my attention to that now uh, and begin going around the state as I already have started and having town halls and inviting citizens to think about applying. We'll put up applications online and in branch offices throughout the state this fall so people can begin applying. And then we have a process that will be transparent in selecting those individuals who will be serving on this commission. Uh, everyone can apply. And out of that, uh, both parties have an opportunity to strike people that they feel are too partisan. Uh, and then out of that, a lottery system will ultimately choose the the, uh, the commissioners who will draw these next round of districts and will work to make sure that those districts can be drawn independently and similarly as they're drawn, uh, that they're done so without undue influence, either nationally and here in Michigan, of, of various different special interests coming in and try to influence the process. Mm-hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's start with uh, Eric in Southfield. Eric, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks hey. for taking my call. Sure. Hi, uh, uh, Madam Secretary. Um, I One of my concerns in the, the redistricting process um, is that there are a lot of different ways to try to draw them, uh, some of which result either in really bizarre shapes if you're trying to maintain partisan balance. Some will end up with um, great partisan imbalance if you're trying to draw for for compactness. I mean, Mm -hmm. you've got to put the UP somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so it's just the, the, a lot of different criteria, not all of which really resolve the problems that you know, nonpartisan redistricting is supposed mm. to try to solve. Yeah, Eric, mm. I, 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 that's a concern I hear from a lot of people. Can you talk a little about the criteria that mm-hmm. that should guide the 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 districting process? I mean, it's it's actually not that's not new. There mm-hmm. are criteria. There are mm-hmm. there are federal laws that that guide that process uh, that say you should favor. Uh, certain approaches over others. Mm-hmm, certainly. And I think first is transparency has got to be important so that people can actually see and observe and hold accountable those who are drawing the maps. Uh, and then secondly, competitiveness, I think, is a, a key thing to consider when you look at the partisan makeup of a particular area or precinct, making sure uh, that you're not uh, including some voters or excluding others based on partisanship and the hopes to predetermine uh, which party could win that particular district. But then beyond that, there are a number of, a fa- of factors. Do we want to um, keep counties together and, and follow as we, as we as you would need to the state APOL standards of making sure districts are compact and contiguous and drawn in a way that essentially aren't funny looking as many of our current districts are. Uh, and then on top of that, the interesting thing in this particular lawsuit is uh, there are many, many, many ways, hundreds of thousands of ways to draw every district in a way that does comply with all of these requirements as well as federal and state laws. In fact, in, in 2011, I actually oversaw a, a citizens redistricting competition mm-hmm. where at the time the president of the College Republicans of Central Michigan University drew a map like this where you saw every district was competitive. So it showed even if you have perhaps a partisan affiliation, you can still draw a fair competitive map. But the interesting thing is there are many, many ways to do that. And the current map that we have is an outlier, particularly the districts that are identified in the suit are uh, of all of the hundreds of districts that you could draw in that particular area. If you look at the scientific evidence, these districts are are more part partisan than hundreds of others that could have been drawn, which is also, I think, an important thing to look at. Essentially, you know, what's the um, what's the easiest way to draw a district in a way that would be, you know, again, competitive, compact, uh, keep communities of interest together, comply with state and federal law, and enable, frankly, either party to have a fair shot at winning. One of the other things that I hear from people who defend the current system uh, is that uh, the requirements of the Voting Rights Act uh, to make sure that uh, where where possible, you give uh, uh, minority candidates a chance, you know, a fair chance to win in districts that are that are close to majority minority. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they they keep saying you can't draw Michigan any differently than mm-hmm. we do if you're going to respect those uh, those requirements. How, how do you answer that? Well, I think you can. I think the, the court, the federal court, has actually been interpreting the Voting Rights Act in recent years in a very flexible way that gives states the opportunity to draw different types of districts, not necessarily majority-minority districts, which would be required in the past to, to comply with the Voting Rights Act. Sometimes you'll get districts that are more influence districts where a particular community of color would have influence over the outcome but would not be uh, determining the outcome and that's been found to be okay. So there are actually many, many, many options of of ways that districts can be drawn. And oftentimes the way that the districts are actually drawn uh, could be potentially uh, based on some sort of unconstitutional intent, and mm-hmm. that's that's again what we have here. Uh, but in that, but but I think it's important to remember that that it's not like there's you know five options here for maps. Uh, it may seem like that, but when you get down to the precinct level, uh, there are various ways in which you can keep com- communities together. Hundreds of ways keep communities together, create um, compact districts that are both co- that are also competitive uh, and enable citizens and and 
and candidates to compete, um, you know, um, effectively uh, to win the support of the voters in a general election to represent that district. Yeah. Uh, again, Eric, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Chuck in Franklin. Chuck, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. It's nice to have a chance to uh, question Secretary Benson. I hate these commissions, and I hate them for two reasons. One is that in places like Arizona and California, they haven't worked all that well, and they've had some, some serious problems. But secondly, the elections clause of the Constitution says clearly and unequivocally that the legislatures of the states uh, shall do the redistricting and make the other rules for elections. And the only reason that we've gotten away from that clear, unequivocal constitutional language was a Supreme Court case called Arizona Redistricting Commission. And that was a, a, a bitter, bitter, bitter five to four decision of the Supreme Court uh, where Justice Kennedy uh, was the swing vote. And he's gone now. And I'm not so sure uh, what the lifespan of Arizona redistricting commission is or should be. The sooner that case got reversed, the happier I would be so that our elected representatives could do the job that the Constitution tells them to do, which is to draw district lines. But Secretary Benson is is a really good and artful politician at saying that she's not a partisan Democrat. But what betrayed her to me was back uh, in November of last year when she, uh, at the conclusion of the presidential race, was favoring uh, the um, ending of the Electoral College as we currently know it, which would be fine for national Democrats who want uh, presidential candidates to win based on big voting turnouts in New York and California, but hurts voters in Michigan who get the the attention of presidential candidates because we're a Midwestern swing state. Yeah, Chuck, Chuck, I really appreciate uh, the the call and the comments. Uh, there's a lot that you packed into the <laughs> into there. Uh, a lot of questions. Uh, Jocelyn, let's start with this this question of who ought to draw yeah. the line. Well, so I'll sort of take it in three parts. One, I just want to kind of correct the record. There was a, uh, um, I certainly think we should have a conversation and invite citizens to look at the popular, uh, national popular vote compact. In fact, Colorado Senate just supported yesterday. Uh, and that was the extent of my comments that there should be a discussion. Uh, but I, 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 uh, so I appreciate you bringing, you know, mentioning that because I think it is an important discussion for us to have, but I haven't taken a position on, on, uh, on that particular issue. Moving back to the redistricting piece, you know, citizens throughout the state of Michigan voted quite clearly that they believe that the drawing of district lines uh, should not be done by those who would have a conflict of interest in drawing their own districts, essentially p- picking their voters and excluding others. Uh, and that's really what, what has gotten us here today. And interestingly, if you look at the data coming out of, let's say, just say California and their redistricting commission, which is uh, which ours in uh, our upcoming commission is very similar to. What I appreciate out of that is that both parties, uh, one, both parties rejected or did not like the maps because because they were essentially fair and either party got it an advantage, which I think is a, is a, is a good uh, indicator of, of true nonpartisanship. And they also pitted a lot of incumbents against each other, which is uh, oftentimes what you have to do to draw fair districts, uh, but is not going to happen if, again, the people who are drawing the districts are essentially drawing their own districts and those of their friends. 
I'm just looking at this from what's best in light of the, for the voters and for democracy and uh, without really a, a dog in the fight either way in terms of any partisan advantage. And when you do that, I think it's quite clear and the majority of voters in the state of Michigan clearly agree that by allowing citizens to draw those lines, you remove a lot of those very clear conflicts of interest that have led to very you know, oddly shaped some of the most oddly shaped districts in the country uh, to be drawn right here in Michigan. And and Chuck is not wrong, though, that, that the founders really did believe this to be legislative work. But I think you got to put that in context as well. There were there were very specific reasons that they believed that to be true. And a lot of it had to do with distrust of the people themselves. It was distrust of uh, people who were not educated, people who were not wealthy, people who were not white. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- th- this is all caught up in uh, some of the biases that were baked into the Constitution to begin with. There's a significant amount of evidence, and this is why I think having a conversation today about the the Electoral College and what's best for voters is important. There's a significant amount of evidence the Electoral College has been maintained over the years to uh, um, uh, harm or suppress the voices of communities of color and voters of color. And I think that needs to be taken into consideration. There's a book called The Right to Vote written by Alexander Kesar that makes the case quite significant, quite quite clearly, um, just based on history. And so I, I think those types of things uh, need to be taken in consideration. And I think what voters showed in November of 2018 in enacting two proposals that really modernize, upgrade, and amplify voices of people in our democracy, what they've shown, I think, is that they're um, engaged and really want a democracy that 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 listens to them uh, and an election system that uh, protects their voices, makes it easier to vote and harder to cheat. And so my mandate is really to think about in every decision I make what's best for them and what's what's best for the voice that was really reflected now of the the work that the voters engaged in uh, last November in passing those two initiatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Chuck, I really appreciate the call uh, and the thoughts. Uh, let's go to Jason in Canton. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen, and mm-hmm. good morning, uh, Secretary Benson. Morning. Um, so, so I would say that uh, to the popular argument that you know, well, this isn't a perfect system. Well, I would say that there is no such thing as a perfect system, you know, but I do feel, and, and the reason why I volunteered and voted, you know, for this uh, initiative was because this is a better system than what we have now. The system we have now isn't working. It's completely partisan. And, yeah, there, you know, there are quirks of this one, but I think that it's ultimately for the best, you know. So yeah. that's J- what I have to say. <laughs> Thank you. Jason, Thanks. I appreciate the call. Uh, and the thoughts there, uh, that 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 I think uh, uh, brings us a little bit back to some of the things that Chuck was saying about other states, mm-hmm. uh, Arizona and California, mm-hmm. being I think the, the the premier examples nationally of of, of states that have gone in a different direction. Uh, Chuck described those as as poor examples. I, I guess I would describe them as uh, as interesting examples that have yielded better results. But there has been some controversy over over how to do this. I mean, when you when you decide to walk away from the partisan table and embrace something that's different, it's not always easy. No, or popular, and or liked by the sort of organized you know uh, infrastructure that has a. Uh, and let's let's face it, both parties have an interest in maintaining the current system as it is, because oftentimes when you're winning or gaining influence through the current system, there's not much incentive to change it. 
I didn't go to Lansing to maintain the status quo. I went to Lansing to ensure that voters' voices were heard. Uh, And that oftentimes is going to mean making difficult decisions, taking uh, heat for those decisions by various interests on either side of the aisle who have a lot to maintain their own influence in a particular infrastructure. That's just that, you know, my job isn't isn't to serve them. My job is to serve the voters. So what that means is, you know, looking at creative solutions, changes oftentimes that that citizens in other states have embraced, uh, like uh, nonpartisan redistricting. And also, I think, you know, my goal, my hope is that Michigan can once again become a model for other states on how to do democracy right, how to do it well, how to have higher turnout, higher citizen engagement, and uh, and where citizens across the state uh, feel their voices are heard, they're being responded to, that when there are issues like the Flint water crisis, th- those are getting addressed because voters are participating and demanding that they be addressed. I mean, that's really where I want to see us go as a state. And what I see my responsibility as Secretary of State is to make democracy work a little bit better so that we can get there. Okay. Uh, Tom in Northwest Detroit has a a quick question, which is, which districts are actually affected, these 11 House districts? Where are we talking about that uh, these would uh, be redrawn? There are a couple in Macomb, a couple in Grand Rapids, and a couple in Kalamazoo, from what I recall. And uh, and I looked at them uh, individually based on this scientific evidence that was before the court, uh, some of which uh, has been released, some of it will be released, I imagine, uh, in the future. But at the same time, just to really examine whether these districts were individually drawn to predetermine the outcome in a way that would silence or subvert the voice of the voters. And and it, again, because those are districts in very different parts of the state, mm-hmm. is it really going to be possible to redraw them without having to redraw what's around them? I hope so. Them? I hope so. Uh, and I mean, I'm sure some, some neighboring districts might be affected. Uh, one reporter said, what if they just redraw the districts as they currently are and submit them to the court? And that's really up to the court to decide. Uh, there is uh, what, what I think was clear is simply that there was significant evidence uh, in 2011 that these districts were drawn to predetermine and, and help one party win them over another uh, and subvert the will of the voters. So that said, it's now up to the court uh, to decide whether to accept this um, proposed compromise uh, to resolve the case or whether to go to trial. And right now, the court hasn't made a decision yet. So right now, the case is still going to go to trial still February active, 5th. Sure. Yeah. And uh, and so we'll, we'll, it remains to be seen uh, whether the, you know, the, what the decisions the court will make before then. And so I think it's also important to place this in the, in the proper context where I personally made a decision as the state's chief election officer to say, you know what, it's not in our interest as a state to spend money defending what I believe are, um, are, are against what I believe are true accusations of, of, of partisanship. Uh, instead, let's come up with a compromise that will be minimal in scope, probably more minimal than what a court would determine to be a remedy, uh, and move forward so that we can have clarity, put this behind us, and look forward to 2021. Uh, and so that's my hope uh, that we can do that, uh, and it's now in the court's hands to determine, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens next. Okay, Jocelyn Benson, Michigan Secretary of State. Thanks very much for joining us to, to explain all of this news about gerrymandering here on Detroit Today. Thanks. Anytime. Yeah, we'll catch up with you soon. <laughs> sure. Up next, earlier this week, we recognized Holocaust Remembrance Day on a global scale. We're going to talk to local journalist and historian Bill McGraw about our own Henry Ford and his role in spreading anti-Semitism. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Thank you.